Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, hey, it's great to see everybody. I'm going to teach on worship today. And just give you a heads up, um, some things to celebrate about our church that I think are, are, are really special, um, but also I feel like as a pastor, I have to be aware of. So over the last year, our church doubled in size. That's an amazing thing. That's a great thing. It's a great thing. Um, numbers matter because people matter and every person is a number uh, and every number is a person. And, uh, but the right numbers matter. I don't, I, don't, I don't actually count the crowd size on a Sunday as the one that, the ones that I get really excited about. We had over 100 salvations a month of January, okay? That's amazing. We have over 1,000 people in small groups. Come on now, we can celebrate that. Um, but when you have a lot of new people that come to church, something that I will teach frequently at our house is prayer and worship and the word. Because if you're going to be a part of this house, you need to know what worship is. Um, we are not trying to have mission church type worship. We're just trying to have kingdom worship. And so I want to teach on worship today with you. And um, even just the purpose of church. Again, like, like I said, it's, it's to glorify God. The church is not a spiritual drive through by which you drive up to a window for your spiritual pick-me-up and give your order to the man at the window and hope that he delivers, and if not, you didn't like it that day, okay? That is not what the church's purpose is. No, no, when we come together and we understand that the reason why we have breath in our lungs, why we have hands on our arms to clap, is to praise him and to give him all the glory. And when we do that, things change for the better, like, like, if you knew that you came in to try to take care of yourself and try to worship yourself, life will never be what it's supposed to be. But if you actually realize you are built for worship, it will change your life. I, um, I want to read you something. Romans one twenty one uh, shows us what's going on in the world, what's wrong with the world, if you will. It says this in Romans one twenty one through 23. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. I don't know about you, but we live in dark and confusing times, yes? yes? Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. This shows right here in Romans 1 that when worship is off, everything's off. When our worship goes wrong, everything is wrong. When we worship the wrong things in our family, it, it detours on a road that we should never have been on. Our society, when it worships the wrong things, our society's off. I wrote this down. In our culture, everyone wants to be celebrated, but very few want to be consecrated. Everyone wants to be discovered, but very few want to be developed. Everyone wants to point out everybody else's junk, but very few want to deal with their own junk. Everybody wants to be happy, but very few want to be holy. Everyone wants to live, but very few are willing to die for Jesus. Everyone wants to flourish, but very few want to plant in the house of God. Everyone wants to be made whole, but very few are willing to be true worshipers of the one who can make them whole. I want to encourage you today that if you understand worship and you get worship and you live a lifestyle of worship, it will change your life forever. There are very few things that I can say from the platform that say, if you get this one thing, it will change your life forever. I got to go all the way back to Genesis, all right? Let's go back to creation. I want to show you some. I had two weeks to study, so I'm going to be all over the place. Is that cool? Cool. All right, so we're going to be in Genesis and Psalms and Luke 7 and John 4. I got a lot of scripture today. It's the last service, so there's nowhere to go. Um, we do have, we do have, <laughs> there's like five claps and some nerve. Ah. He makes that joke every week and he does go long. This is dangerous. Um, Genesis. Um, through Revelation, uh, you'll see that there are three angels that are named. 
Now there are, we have no idea, but let's, you know, for the sake of theology, look at it. There's millions and millions of angels. There was, um, Satan took a third of the angels and two thirds are still in heaven. So we're still out outnumbering the demons two to one. Come on now, angels, demons, that's a good thing. Um, uh, but there are only three angels named in the Bible, uh, Genesis to Revelation. One would be named Michael. Michael will show up when prayer is happening. Daniel's praying in Daniel 10. Michael shows up at that moment. That'd be one of the examples. Gabriel shows up when the word of God is being spoken and, and prophecy is being spoken. You'll see that even with Mary in, in the gospels. So there's two of the angels that are there, one associated with uh, prayer, one associated with the word of God. The third one, the other angel that is named in the Bible is Lucifer. And Lucifer, uh, we know if you've ever read the Bible, he is Satan. Lucifer was the worship angel. He was associated with worship. And theologians, when they start to study this, and you look at Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, you look at the Gospels, Jesus talks about Satan being thrown down like lightning, Revelation. You'll see different uh, um, um, texts that show this, uh, that uh, in worship, that, that each angel, if you will, um, Michael was in charge of a third of the angels for uh, prayer, and Gabriel was in charge of a third of the angels uh, for the word of God, and then Lucifer was in charge of a third of the angels for worship. But if you read Ezekiel 28, you'll, you'll see that it says that uh, um, Satan became uh, prideful and wanted the worship for himself. And because of that, God had to throw him down. It was not a battle. He just threw him down. And so uh, most theologians believe that that happened when Satan was cast down. You can read that in Isaiah 14 or in the Gospels. When, uh, when, when Satan was thrown down, uh, most um, theologians believe that happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So there was a worship opening in heaven, if you will. And God creates man. And what's interesting about man, if you read Ezekiel 28, Satan is actually made up of worship parts. He's got jewels and, and timbrel and, and cords and, and wind, all three things to make up a band, if you will. And it said he was the most beautiful uh, angel and, 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 and even like uh, anointed for worship. And I'm here to tell you, I could have taught on just the power of music. You, 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 worship's anointed, but, but God gave power to music. Like, like he, gave, he gave a gift to music, and that's why it moves you, even like a, a secular song can move you, because there is, there's power in music. Uh, and so, so, so when Satan is thrown down, he creates man. And what's fascinating is he gave his hands to clap, like percussion. He gave us wind to, to make noise, but he also gave us vocal cords, literally cords and strings, literally created us to be worship beings. Can I communicate this to you real quick? Your number one purpose on the planet is to worship God. Why you have breath in your lungs is to worship God. It, it, will, it will change your life for the better. It will fulfill your life. And it will be the one thing that God goes, yes, okay, now you got it. And when you start worshiping God, watch out. There's this Psalm in Psalm 147. And it's interesting. We'll read, we'll read the Psalms once in a while, you know, hey, read Psalm, da, da, da. Can I show you real quick? This book, uh, the biggest book in the Bible, 150 chapters. It was the hymn book for Israel. It, it took a thousand years to write. And then it was used for thousands of years by the, Israel, uh, um, the, the Hebrew people to worship God. Uh, it, it literally was like a hymn book. It would read like a hymn book. Uh, who went to a church with hymn books back in the day? Okay, my people. Okay, okay. My the first church I ever went to, my grandma uh, dragged me to. I wasn't a believer. I was in eighth grade. They had hymn books, and they're like, turn to page 111. And we opened up to 111, and then we started singing a song from 111. Well, what would happen with the, the, the people of God, they would say, turn your, um, uh, the book of Psalms to Psalm 147. And they would read the word of God because when you read the word of God, it is alive, it is active, it starts doing things in your soul that no other words can. I could read you the newspaper, it's not gonna change your life. But if I open up the word of God and you start reading Psalm 147, it starts doing things in the spiritual and in your soul that nothing else can do. And so they say, open up to Psalm 147. And so today I say, open up to Psalm 147, I wanna read you something. And Psalm 147 says this, How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasing and fitting to praise him. That word fitting would be 
written in the book of Psalms multiple times because God is trying to show his people how fitting it is to praise him. The word fitting in the Hebrew shows that it's the only way you're constructed to fit in one spot. Let me, let me, let me give you a, a normal uh, illustration that may, may help you understand. Imagine you went on this amazing trip to Africa and you went on a Serengeti one. Who wants to go on a Serengeti one? Come on now. We should do a church trip to the Serengeti just to like, you know, uh, hang out, fellowship in the Serengeti. Okay. Uh, lions are my favorite animal. I think it'd be awesome. Uh, but on this trip, you get to go uh, ride an elephant. And so you're riding your elephant, you're like, da, 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 da. like this would be awesome, okay? Um, now, uh, picture this. Now the elephant gets to ride you. <laughs> it would squish you, yes? yes? Yes. And what the word fitting is, it's saying, when you worship God, it is light, it is easy, it almost like it carries you. But when you worship a job or money or a person, it's like an elephant sitting on you. It is crushing. It is fitting for you to praise God. It is not fitting for you to praise yourself, to praise a job, or to praise a person. When you worship the wrong things, it crushes them and it crushes you. But when you worship God, it blesses you and it's like wind in your sails. So as you open up the Psalms, it says, oh, how fitting it is. Let us praise our God. Can I encourage you today? You were built to praise God. Now, it's interesting, you look at the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. Let's uh, double down on this. Let's, just, let's be really theological today, okay? You're going to get really smart today. Um, well, this is all I got, actually. Hopefully it helps you. Um, kind of smart, I guess. Um, you read Genesis 1 and 2, there are some things that are created out of nothing, and then some things that are made from what was created. And so trees were made from uh, the, the, the dirt. And so you see like, you know, the, the dirt, the, the light, create, create. But then the trees were made from the dirt. And when you study the, you know, creation theology of even why that happens is the trees um, are shown that you are created from the dirt. So therefore you have to be sustained from the dirt and then you return to the dirt. So whatever you're created to, you're sustained by and they return to. And then mankind was made from in the image of God. And so we are created from God to be sustained by God and to return to God. Some are saying, well, I've read the Bible. I, I guess we, I thought we were, we were, we were um, uh, made from the dust. Yes, your body is made from the ground and then will be sustained by the ground. Your body will, and it will return to dust to the ground. But your soul was made by God only to be sustained by him and to return to him one day. And so I'm here to encourage you today. If things are off right now, it's because your worship is off, but it doesn't always have to be off. Oh, I want to encourage you. You got something, uh, something for you. And now let's just uh, look, at, look at the text real quick. We're going to look at the importance of worship. And then we're going to look at how we should worship. It's a very simple sermon today. Uh, and so let's look at the importance of worship, the importance of worship. Um, now the importance of worship shows in Psalm 134. Sorry, I bounced around. Da -da -da. Where are you at, Psalm 134? You know, can I read you Ephesians 5 actually first? Okay, thanks. Let's do it. Um, uh, I got a question before I read it. Are you willing to allow scripture to still change your life? To change your mind? Like, are, are you like, like to the, I, I got to talk to somebody. Maybe you've been a believer for 30 years. Are you still open that scripture can still change your mind on something? Because if you've landed the plan on everything, why are you here? Like, 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 I mean, is God still not peeling the onion? Is he, can you not change your mind on something? Um, Ephesians 5, we, we know we live in, 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 in dark times. It says this about uh, what it looks like for us to live in dark times. So be careful how you live, Ephesians 5 says. Do not live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I'm done complaining about evil days. I'm just ready to worship and change these evil days. Okay, I'm not going to complain about them because it gives her, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. 
Now, just a side note, it doesn't say don't go on a wine tasting. It doesn't say don't have a cab. Okay, if you're a member at Hall Winery, that's okay. Maybe you can't have two wine tastings, but you can have a wine tasting, okay? Conviction of the Spirit. Okay, here we go. Um, so don't be drunk with wine. It doesn't say don't go on a wine tasting and nap. Okay, instead, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are a Spirit-filled church here at Mission Church. We're Spirit-filled. We, we, we don't just think of it. We rely on, we depend on it. The, we, we, we chase the oil. We follow his presence. We are presence-driven in this house. And it shows that there is a marking of a spirit-filled church and a spirit-filled Christian. You'll see three of the five are singing, are praise. Let me look at it. Uh, be filled with spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves. Make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A spirit-filled Christian is singing and thanking. And some of you today, I want to encourage you, as the Lord fills your life with his spirit and you become spirit-filled, you'll notice complaining is going to get less and praising is going to become more. Critiquing is to become less and thankfulness to become more. Fear is going to become small and praise and strength are going to become more. When the spirit fills your life, it transforms your spiritual DNA into somebody who is a conqueror, not a victim anymore. Can I get an amen for that? So don't live uh, thoughtlessly. Don't live carelessly, but live wise today. Francis Chan is somebody who I respect in ministry, and he grew up in a movement that was a cessationist movement. And a cessationist movement, just basically, they uh, believe that uh, the Holy Spirit is not alive and active for today. They believe that the gifts of spirit, speaking tongues, all, all the gifts of spirit, they're done. They think they're only supposed to be in Acts. They, they ceased when the book of Acts was, uh, was done, the early church was done. And so he grew up in that movement, and he said he would just read the Bible. And as he read the Bible, he just couldn't get past it. He goes, I don't see that you're done, Holy Spirit. And as he read the Bible, not as he talked to people, not as he was in a movement and everybody said, this is the, what we're supposed to do, but as he read the word of God, it changed his mind. And he realized, Holy Spirit, you're alive and active. And he became a spirit-filled Christian and got excommunicated from his movement. <laughs> They're like, you're evil, get out of here now. What a sweet movement that is. Mm. Give that movement a hug. I read my Bible all the time. And I say, Lord, if... If I'm not supposed to raise my hands in worship. Show me your word, I'll stop. Lord, if you don't want me to shout, I I'm not trying to just worship my way. I want to worship the way you want to be worshiped. So I look throughout, the, how do you want me to pastor? How, how do you want me to live my life? And when I read scripture, I'm not trying to listen to a movement or a person or an email or a DM, a DM from somebody. I'm looking through the word of God and saying, God, what do you have for me? What do I need to change? And today, as we look through scripture, I think some scripture is going to speak to you today and it's going to change you. And scripture always changes us for the better. And some of you, you're frustrated right now. You're frustrated in your Christian walk. You're frustrated in life. And I'm going to tell you, one of the biggest reasons why you're probably frustrated is you're just not worshiping correctly yet. Yeah. Now, now let, me, let me unpack an illustration of what I mean by that. Imagine you came out to me and said, hey, I met somebody. I really like him. Uh, I heard you know him really well. Can you give me some tips uh, for uh, the date we're going to go on? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll hook you up. Okay. First thing, they love Italian food. Take them to Italian. Second thing, they love to laugh. Oh, they love to laugh. They're hilarious. You're just going to laugh with them. It's going to be a great time. And last but not least, they love going on walks. They just love the outdoors. And so the person goes, okay, thank you, thank you, okay. So they take them on, on this date. And the next day I talk to them, how was it? Oh, it was frustrating. It was weird. It just didn't work. I said, why? I said, oh, what happened? Well, dinner was weird. Why was it weird? They didn't like it. They didn't like Italian. No, no, I took them to sushi. Uh, I like sushi. So we went to sushi. I know that you said they like Italian, but I like sushi. So I took them to sushi. And then, and, then, and then we went to the movie. Oh, would you go see a funny movie? No, I love scary movies. So I took him to a scary movie. 
And they didn't like the scary movie for some reason. And then, you know how I love dirt bikes and ATV, so I took them on an ATV ride after, afterwards, and they hated it for some reason. It was just a weird, frustrating day. And for some of you, I'm telling you, the way you're supposed to live your life is to prioritize God, to be first, to pray to God, to worship God, to obey God. And then you live a week, and you're like, I'm frustrated. I'm like, tell me about your week. Did you pray? I didn't pray. I thought he would just fix things as I walk around. Did you read a word? No, I didn't read my word, but I know a couple scriptures. You know, so, so you do nothing that I told you to do, but then you're mad at the one that you're asking to deliver. And I'm telling you, your frustration is a worship problem. Because worship is responding to what you value most. And when you value yourself most, you respond in a way and you live for yourself instead of the Lord. And you are frustrated because you're worshiping the wrong thing. But if you are willing to let the word of God shape you today, if you're willing to allow the word of God to challenge you today, you might just might start living not a frustrated life, but a blessed life. Not an empty life, but a filled life. Not an angry life, but a a life of freedom and joy. There's this psalm in Psalm 34 that I want to read you. But before I read it to you, I want you to understand something about worship. It's fascinating. There's this moment in Deuteronomy 31 where the Lord writes a worship song and gives it to Moses. He goes, Moses, I want you to give this song to the people and I want them to sing it as a witness to who I am and what has just happened. And it made me think about just the history of the church. Have you noticed that there are songs that are sung throughout the whole earth sometimes? I exalt thee. Sung throughout the earth. Why is it that when we start singing songs like Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. It starts doing something to you. I really believe this. When you look throughout scripture and you look throughout the world, I believe God gives worship songs to the church to remind us of who he is. The songs we sang today reminds us that, that, that he was the one that bore our sin that was on the cross. And it's not just our church singing it, but the church. He, he is pleased. I think he's given the church songs still today to glorify his name and his name alone. And so all these psalms are one, one reason, one reason why they're written, to glorify him. And they were worshiped by all of God's people. And if I could encourage you today, uh, if you have your Bible, open to Psalm 34. The hymnal, the book hymnal of the people of God. Now the book of Psalms is written over a thousand years. This one's written by David. David has just came out of a terrible season. He has just been delivered from a terrible season. And here's what he says. I will extol the, uh, I will extol the, extol, extol, wow, that's a hard word. I will extol, 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 wicka, wicka, remix, here we go. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. If you're afflicted today, you came to the right place. If you're in a valley today, you came to the right place. If you are hurting and wounded and frustrated and, uh, and bondage and addiction, you came to the right place because the word of God tells you, let the afflicted hear the word and rejoice. Why should you rejoice? Let me read some more. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered. It takes me two seconds to read it. It took David seven years to live it. Seven years. Some of you come to the house. And then you say, Ty, just read it so cavalier. I sought the Lord, he answered. Well, I've sought the Lord and he hasn't answered yet. Can you imagine being David? You're going to be king. And 15 years goes by and first half is pretty good. You, you start serving the king and you start winning battles and people start singing names. David's killed thousands, 10,000s. And, and you're like, oh, wow, they like me. That's great. 
But the one that was supposed to be the father in the faith, your mentor, the one that should have championed you the most, decides to start throwing spears at you and makes it his life mission to destroy you. So for seven years, he's got to hide in caves. I like to tell you David always responded well when he was in the cave. Read the Bible. He does not always respond well. 1 Samuel 27, he literally says, I thought to myself, surely one of these spears is going to kill me one day. He thought it. You're going to think things. You're going to feel things, but they are not your compass. They are not your truth. They are not what you're supposed to live. So he thought it, but then he said, I searched the Lord, and he answered me. And if you will keep searching God, searching for God and seeking God, you will find God. I promise you, it is his promise. He goes, he delivered me from all fears. Those who look at him are radiant. I just love that promise. Those who were, you ever, you ever met a Christian, you're like, why are you just so radiant? You know, Jim Jim Tanya is that guy to me. You know what I'm saying? Jim Tanya, he always just so radiant. I'm like, 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 what are you doing throughout the week that I'm not doing to have that radiance and that unction and this just, mm, just dripping with oil? You know what I'm saying? But, but the people who look to God, they just have a different brightness on their soul. They got a different uh, countenance of how they look at the day, the way they respond to the word, the way they look at people. The ones that look at God look at people differently. So it says they're radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The, uh, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. He's just bragging about God. He's like, let the afflicted rejoice. Saved him, delivered him, protected him. All these things. He goes on to say, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. And I love this part. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. He wants, he wants to engage your actually, your, your, your senses. Now, do you, uh, does anybody have anybody in the life that, that makes you like taste things all the time? My wife is infamous for this. Like, oh my gosh, you've got to taste this. It's disgusting. You know, like those people, like it could be the worst thing, but she just wants you to try it. Okay. That is my wife to the T. Not only that, have you ever met an artist that if um, the artist paints a painting, if you don't like the painting, they think you hate them. Like you reject the art, you reject the artist, you know? Well, Rachel, like if you reject the bite, you're rejecting her, okay? If you reject the food, you're rejecting her. You don't like it? Oh my gosh. Like it's one of those things. So, so I had to taste a lot of things I would never want to taste. And so two weeks ago, uh, Rachel was making uh, pumpkin pie pancakes. Now, uh, we're on a uh, health kick, so they're p- pumpkin pie protein pancakes. Um, and um, I uh, hate pumpkin pie. I hate it. And she knows it. I loathe it. Every holiday, I never want to eat it. I eat apple pie, but not pumpkin pie. So Rachel makes it, amen, come on now, we got somebody in the house. Oh yeah, I feel seen, I feel heard today. So, uh, so uh, Rachel makes these pumpkin, and I mean the kitchen just smells like pumpkin pie. I'm like, uh, yeah. uh, you know, somebody light, light a candle or something, you know. And uh, Rachel's like, you have to try these pancakes, they're amazing. And I'm like, Rachel, I don't want to taste them. She's like, you got to taste the pancake. Do you love me? You know, like one of those things. And I was like, of course. And she, I was like, I don't like pumpkin pie. She goes, they taste nothing like pumpkin pie. And I'm like, the whole room, like, so the smell smells like pumpkin pie, and you're telling me they don't taste like pumpkin pie. So, so I take a bite of them, and I'm eating pure pumpkin pie. And I'm like, Rachel, it tastes just, she's like, I didn't think so. My wife lied to me to get me to taste some pumpkin pie pancakes. But this has been our marriage for the last 11 years. So that's when it didn't turn out well. But I'll never forget five years into our marriage, one of my wife's favorite vegetables is um, artichokes. And can we disagree? Is there a more disgusting vegetable to watch somebody eat than an artichoke? You get it presented, and it's like this like gross-looking like leaf thing, and then they just start like dipping it, like mm, scraping stuff off it, like, oh, this is delicious. You should try it. And they have like a throwaway plate for all the other parts, like, oh. 
Tyler, this is so good. Like you put in the dinner, and I'm always like, like, it's not when your girl's looking the hottest when she eats an artichoke. You're like, it's more like, watch the lion rip into the, the wildebeest, you know, like, wow, wow, wow. You know, like shavings flying left and right of the artichoke. Um, so for five years, I'm like, I'm not going to have artichoke. It, that is, it doesn't even look edible. It's disgusting. Like, no, it's so good. Then you get to the heart, and then you eat the heart. out. I'm like, what are you, there's a heart in the artichoke? I don't want any, I don't want anything to do with this. But you're five. She wore me down one day. I was just in the kitchen. She's like, Todd, just take, just take, taste, please taste it, please. Like Rachel gets really dramatic sometimes. Okay. And I was like, okay, I'll, okay, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. And so, so she dips it in this little dip she made and I took a bite. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. You know? And I was like, get out of the way. This is my artichoke. And I was like, I'm now, now, now. I need a bigger plate now, now, now. You know, I'm just eating like a savage and, you know, scraping the things. And I get to the heart and I'm, 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 I grab the, the stump of it. And I'm like dipping it. More artichokes, like one of those moments. We went to lunch on Saturday, and they had grilled artichokes. First thing we ate, grilled artichokes, bring us extra plates. I'm about to do work at this table, okay? So I love artichokes now. I love them. I love them. Now, I picture David. This is David. Just, you know, being King David, Warrior David, hanging out with his guys, like, oh, this soup. You got to try this soup. And the guy's like, David always has us try this soup. Oh, the bread today. You got to try the bread. All right, King David will try the bread. Oh, the steak tonight. Woo! I don't know what they did, but that is my fancy. You got to try the steak. But then it comes to the things of the spiritual. And David's saying, oh, if you haven't tasted redemption, you got to taste redemption. If you haven't tasted deliverance, ooh, you better taste deliverance. Oh, joy. Taste and see the joy of the Lord. It is good. There is a difference between smelling food and eating food. He didn't say smell and see the Lord is good. There is a difference when you're in this room watching people worship and worshiping God. You may even be impacted by it. It may even impact your soul because as we press in, it shows that when those who engage with God, he will engage with them. The presence of God enters this room and it spills through the room and you may just be smelling the presence of God and you like it. But until you worship God, you will never taste and see his goodness in the way that you're supposed to. Let me, let me double down on this thought. Imagine there was a huge rock right here and I took a, some dynamite and I lit the dynamite next to the rock. It would explode and the rock would feel the power of the dynamite, but it wouldn't transform the rock at all. And what the Bible shows, there are a few spiritual practices in a believer's life that if they will enact in their life, that it will drill down deep into their soul and you drop that same dynamite power joy and you put it into the center of their life, it explodes hard things that never could have exploded on the outside. And what I'm telling you is when you start to worship, what happens is you open your soul to say, Holy Spirit, drill down deep into my soul and may joy explode and take out anger in my life. May freedom come into my soul and explode and take out bondage in my life. Because I, 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 it explodes around me and I feel it, but I don't wanna just be a Christian that feels things. I wanna be freed from things. And the only way you're freed from things is they say, you got to taste and see. Taste it. Worship God. Get vulnerable. The, the, the transport, if you will, of tasting and seeing God is when you realize the promise of God says, those who will lean into me, I will lean back to them. Those who seek me, I will open the door and we will eat together. And so if you're a person house, I'm sorry, you will not encounter God by looking at people and just looking at the song. 
You are not tasting, no longer are you seeing. You are just kind of observing everybody else enjoying a great feast that you could also be a part of. I encourage you, taste and see the Lord is good. Taste and see, taste and see. It goes on to say, and I love the second part that just connects so well. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Everybody say blessed. blessed. As your pastor, there's nothing better to hear from somebody when I hear somebody tell me they're in a redemptive season or where they just are seeing God pour out things they never thought they could pour out in their life again. Where people, I've heard people say, I thought God was done with me. I thought the mistakes I made, the relationship I exploded, I never thought I could have another great relationship. I never thought I could have a great life again. And then I just started trusting God again and leaning in. And he has restored everything I broke and then some. It's one of my favorite things as a pastor to hear. And right here, he's telling us the key to how that happens in our life. All this are these just thick worship truths. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I'll never forget my first year of high school football. Uh, we did an all-nighter to bond. And, uh, you know, it's like 55 of us uh, at it. And um, uh, the coach takes us in the gymnastic room. And he starts giving us this big speech. He's like, look around. You're going to go to war with these men. You're going to go to battle with these men. You need to trust them. So we're going to do some trust falls from the balance beam. So he takes the running back, the first one, and he has the running back stand there on our team. And he stands there, and, and you know, the, you could say something on there if you wanted to. And then, and then he takes the offensive lineman behind him. He's like, these offensive linemen are going to be blocking for you. And you've got to trust that when you're given the rock, that they're going to have blue 40 wide open for you to run through. Blue 40 was the right gap uh, by, the, by the center to run through. And he's like, you've got to trust that they're going to block for you. But first, you've got to trust that they'll catch you. And we're like, okay, like all these army terms. I'm like, I'm in ninth grade, man. Like, I'm good. Like, like I'm eating pizza, right? I'm like, I'm like, eating this, like okay, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so they have a running back and he falls backward and he catches them. And, and I remember this thing like, thank goodness I didn't have to be the one that was the example about falling backwards and being caught. And then he says, oh, we're not done. Every single one of you are going to fall off the beam and be caught by your teammates. And so like, I was like, oh my gosh, it went like an hour and a half because guys were like speaking on the, on the you know, balance beam, like, you guys are my brothers. I'm going to go to battle with you. I love you guys so much. And I'm like, I've known you for a week. We've been in practice for a week. What's my name? I'm your brother and you love, what, what's my middle name? What's my favorite movie? You know, there's like one of those most everybody's crying. Like, oh, and then they, they're like, oh, let's go to war. Oh, boom, God. Okay. So. So finally I go up and, you know, um, I, uh, you know, I asked for a couple, I'm going to go, I've, I've been six, five since ninth grade. So, um, never grew ever since, but I was this, I was like, you better get a couple more people. This is all six, five of me come backwards. You know what I'm saying? This ain't two or three, get about five or six of them. I want more people catching me. So I remember get up there and, and, uh, I fall backwards and they catch me and I'm like, oh, oh I'm so, so glad that's over. And never had to do a trust fall ever again. Um, we're going to do them with our staff this next week though. Um, <laughs> from the platform right here, we're going to war with these people. Every Sunday, you got to trust that they're going to greet people like you greet people. Now fall backwards. <laughs> We're not going to do that now. Um, I, I wish I could tell you that as a believer, when you follow God, you only have to trust fall one time with him. It's just one time. And then you're just great for the rest of your life. But what David is showing us through the Holy Spirit pen to paper, that a true worshiper trust falls every day of their life. Yes. And says, God, I fall into your arms today. I don't trust my career. My career is not my refuge. A person's not my refuge. Can I just tell you real quick? Your career will not catch you. Your spouse cannot catch you. Your friend cannot catch you. And you definitely can't catch yourself. 
And, Paul, and, and, and what David is saying, and I, want, I hope you hear it, is he's saying, man, blessed are those who know where to fall. Blessed are those who know who can catch them. And, and the, the church, the reason why we worship, we go, I know the one who redeems me. So I fall into those arms today. Oh, I sinned greatly this week, if you're somebody like that. Oh, I sinned so great this week. But I'll fall into one that I know who can clean me today. That can make me whiter than snow today. Oh, I've just been so angry this week. But I fall into the arms that can make me joyful again today. Blessed are those who trust fall with the Lord. It goes on. Let's, un, uh, let's unpack the rest of this. It gets, it gets prettier and prettier. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Lack nothing, 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 nothing. I'm telling you, if you lack right now, you have a worship problem. It's amazing. It, our hearts are idol makers. They just, every day you got to check it. Start worshiping, bending to something else. But, but if we can become a church that becomes a church that worships God, oh, what could happen to the Bay Area? The, the lack of peace in the Bay Area, we'd have an abundance of peace in the Bay Area. Goes on to say, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Now, Loe says, whoever of you who loves life and desires to see many good days. I don't know about you, I desire to see many good days. I desire it. It says right there, the way I'm going to do it, those who trust the Lord, those who seek the Lord, and fear the Lord. And this is the posture of worship. Which leads me to my next point. There is a way to be worshipped and a way not to be worshipped. And I'm telling you, I've seen it with my own eyes. I, I lived in L.A. People who were worshipped, it never was good for their soul. I pastored in a town right next to Aberdeen. Kurt Cobain was from uh, Aberdeen. He, Nirvana lead singer. 100,000 people worshipping him. If he touched them, they would weep. And he literally would get off that platform. He talked about it and he just felt depressed. He took his own life. If 100,000 people cannot fulfill you, it might make you think you're crazy. But the reason why he didn't know is he didn't know the one that could fulfill him. His name is Jesus. So if you're wondering, why do I feel so empty, but I have money and people and jobs? I'm telling you why, because you just don't know the Lord yet. He can fill your life. But the way you fulfill your life is not on your terms. It's not on your terms, which I love what Jesus says. He actually shows us how to worship him in this next point. And the way we're supposed to worship him is we're supposed to worship him like a sinner who has been saved. To worship like a sinner has been saved. Let me read you John 4, uh, 21 through 24. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. while well, we, we Jews uh, know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You gotta have truth to be able to worship God. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So he is scanning the earth for people to worship him this way. Not the Presbyterian way, not the Mission Church way, not the Baptist way, not the um, Pentecostal way. No, no, the way that he describes here in the Greek is the proskuneo way, proskuneo, whichever way you want to say it. Worship him that way, for, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Proskuneo or proskuneo, whichever you want to say it, it was a term that would be used for uh, somebody who was an authority that would walk in the room, and everybody knew that they were in charge, and they would either bow to them, kiss their hand. It was also used very commonly for a dog running up to its owner and licking his hand. And so some of you don't, may don't like that because I'm, I, don't, I don't walk up to anybody and, and, and like, like a dog and would kiss their hand. And I'm here to tell you today, I, I hope that, 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 that your, whatever pride that's holds you back from actually worshiping God, I pray it would die today in your soul. I pray that it would, be, it would flee from your soul today. So let, let's just look at this real quick. So I told Rachel when I was preparing a message, I sometimes think that God uh, gave us golden retrievers to teach us how to worship. He's like, I'm going to design one dog, the golden retriever. 
a, you know, a lab, a lab even, you know, like, and when, when the owner comes home, they're like, <laughs> you know, they rub down. I mean, like, they're all over you. Like, there's like those kind of dogs, like, oh, like, like, why can't people be like this, you know? Like, like, people like, like I, I, most of my followers on Instagram, most of my videos are dog videos of just dogs being adorable. And so, so right here it describes the true worshiper, what he's looking for is somebody who would worship him like a dog. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh, you're here, you're here, you're here. He does not use the Greek word, worship him like a cat. <laughs> because if you have a cat, when you come home, the cat's like. <laughs> See my food bowl? <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, some of you in the house, you, you, you're, you, already, you already get it. You worship like a dog. And, 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 and even, even that term, I want you to hear this real quick. Don't take yourself too seriously. I think that's, we, we take God seriously, not ourselves too seriously. But some of you in the house, you worship God like a cat. Look at that bowl, Lord. Fill it up. Because if, if you have a cat, you need to know something. You don't have a cat, a cat has you. And, and the, okay, okay. We're going to look at a, a text in Luke 7, and it's a Pharisee named Simon that worships God like a cat. And we're going to see a woman who's a prostitute that worships God like a dog. And he celebrates one and defends one and redeems one. And the other one he um, corrects and loses out actually on a relationship with Jesus. And so when you look at the story, you got to ask yourself, who are you in this story? Now let's look at Luke 7 and let's look at this picture in Luke 7, just how it's so beautifully unpacked. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt down behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Man, if that's not proskuneo, I don't know what proskuneo is. Now, let's just unpack this, though. You can read the Bible, and you're like, well, in biblical times, I guess it was normal for people to be eating dinner and then somebody to come in and start weeping at somebody's feet and start pouring perfume and washing their feet. No, no, it would be just as weird if you and I were at Ruth Chris or Cheesecake Factory and I was cutting into my steak and somebody came in and started, you know, washing your feet or my feet with their, their hair and crying like, oh, oh. And they started, and we would be like, oh, so how was your day? Oh, don't, don't, don't mind that. That happens all the time. It's just, I call that a Monday and a Tuesday. No, this is full weird. It is outside the box of cultural norms. Everybody be like, uh, weird, weird alert. Boo, 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 boo. Not cultural norm. What's going on? Boo, boo, boo. I mean, it would be so weird. Can I just tell you real quick? Jesus cares zero cents about your cultural norm. Your cultural norm will not fill your life, redeem your life, or save your life. Yes. Whatever that comfort is you have for yourself, it is not freeing you, it is confining you. Right. It's amazing to me how many people have like a comfort food or a comfort show, but I also think people have a comfort posture. Yeah. And they just stay in that one little spot. Have you ever wondered like how some people like live in Tornado Alley and never move? <laughs> it's like three, like their house gets blown down three times in 10 years. And you're like, have you thought about moving? Have you processed it? And they're like, oh no, this is home. This is what I know. I don't know anything different. 
And some of you, I'm like, have you ever thought about moving your life from selfishness to actually worshiping God? Have you ever thought about moving your life from bondage to freedom? And because every few years, your life gets decimated by another sin. And you never allow God to actually move you to, to the promised land. And you're like, no, but this is my comfort zone. This is all I know is this, this way of living. I know this, I know how to hide this sin. I know how to come to church and be this person. I know how to worship this way, but not that way. And I just stay in this pocket. But then year after year, things get destroyed. And I'm saying, God is inviting you, come move with me. And so, so this is outside the norm. And again, I'm, I do not want disruptive chaos church. That would be unbiblical. I'm not asking for that. But what I am asking is that if you're going to worship God, I would challenge you not to care what anybody else thinks in the room about it except God. I, I know some of you, it's such a hard thing for you to worship because you're so worried about, maybe you're a, a dad in the house or you're a husband in the house. And if your family saw you raise your hands, you'd think they would see weakness. Mm-hmm. Well, my dad's never done that. Is, is he okay today? And I want to encourage you, your persona that you're trying to put on is not freeing you or blessing you. It is holding you back from the fullness of God. And I, I, I'm telling you, the, the, the way that you live your schedule, because worship is not only how we praise, it's how we live our schedule. It's how we handle our money. It's how we handle our emotions, how we handle our life, our sexuality, all of the above. Have people ask questions. Your worship will, will set you apart in all the right ways. So it goes on. And we know that it's weird. Uh, uh, A.W. Tozer says this, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. The, the thing that should impact your, uh, your worship more than anything else is just the Christ in you, just the, 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 the gospel changing your life. So uh, let's keep going. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Pharisees are adorable. <laughs> they're adorable. Uh, I passed it long enough. I encountered a lot of Pharisees. They think their gift is to tell you uh, what you're doing wrong. Uh, what other people are doing wrong. Uh, Pharisees have a PhD in other people's sin and a GED in their sin. Um, they are experts in that stuff. And so, so can you just imagine this? A woman who was destroyed by the world is being redeemed at this moment and being saved. And the Pharisee is not celebrating that somebody who was dead now is alive. Somebody who is lost is now found. Somebody who was a prostitute is now a princess of the living God. Prostitute to princess. And all they see at this moment is sin. All they see at this moment is judgmental eyes. And can I tell you real quick, if you're a Pharisee, I'll give you one of the ways that you'd like, am I a Pharisee? Let me just, let me just, I'll unpack it for you. You might be a Pharisee, okay? Um, last week, we had 20 people, 20 plus people just get saved in the, in the 1030. It was crazy. Like, too many hands we could count. Like, it was like a pop, pop, pop. Hands were all over the place. All of them were in the back. Visitors, you're in the back. I want to say hello to you. Um, uh, but a lot of them were in the back uh, visiting. And, uh, and so um, we saw a bunch of hands get raised. It was awesome. And so the last month, 100 people got saved. But a Pharisee would come into, into this service, look around. Lives were being changed. Those who are lost are being found. Those who are dead are coming to life. And a Pharisee will leave and go, I didn't like how they did the altar call. I can't believe that guy wore a hoodie. <laughs> this is very cozy, and my wife said it was elevated enough that I could wear it. <laughs> so if you don't like it, talk to my wife. 
She's serving pumpkin pie pancakes after service. <laughs> They're delicious. A Pharisee lives in the spirit of death and they don't even know it. Because all they do is see life happen around them, but all they do is point out death. I know we're not perfect. Hello? Hello? I, 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 was, I, told, I told Rachel, I was like, what if I, this weekend, shared every single one of my sins of my teenage years and my 20-year-old 20 year, uh, years? I mean, like, get descriptive. Like, share, like, my worst sins. I started, you know, talking to Rachel about it, and she's like, I don't know if you should do that. <laughs> They're going to think different about you. And she's like, and make sure you're specific. It's not like what you're struggling with right now. Because people could be like, he's doing what? And I thought to myself, I was like, man, like, people worry about what to wear to church. Oh, may our house be a place you can come be free. May the prostitutes come to this church and be free. May, 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 may the Pharisees come here and get free. May the ones that have this, the worst sin come here and be free. We have a prayer team at the end of service. Come confess your sins and leave free today. Come on, come on. You're not going to surprise us with any, anything new. We've we, 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 we been down there. I want to encourage you today. Please, please, please don't allow sin to hold you back from actually experiencing God. And so the Pharisees is, is seeing a woman coming death to life and does not see it because religion only sees religious activities. And he goes on to actually share a picture that will be the litmus test of what shows you if you're a gospel-centered Christian or if you are a religious Pharisee. And here's what he says. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. A Pharisee looks at sin as an amount issue. A gospel-centered Christian looks at sin as an awareness issue. The gospel-centered Christian is aware all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And we all must be saved. Because the key to the word, it's not even the amounts. The amounts is he goes, but neither could repay him. Both of them. So they both had to be forgiven. How dead is dead? That's what he's trying to say to Simon. How dead is dead? And I get it. There's ugly deaths and not so ugly deaths. And the prostitute, if you will, if I could use a very intense illustration, was the one that basically was laying on the ground with 50 gunshot wounds to the chest and face. One of those deaths that you're like, I can't even look at it. I wouldn't even want my eyes to see it. That is such a gruesome death. I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. Look at that death. I don't want to look at it. And the Pharisee just has one gunshot, but it's the pride shot straight to the heart and dead on the ground also. You can glance at it. It won't gross you out. You can barely see the gunshot. But the Pharisee's dead and the prostitute is dead. And Jesus walks into a room of death and says to the prostitute, you will live again. Stand up and walk. You are redeemed. You're not a prostitute. You are now a princess. Every gunshot wound, every sin you committed, it is now gone. You have a new body. You have a new beginning. You have a new life. Raise up and walk out of here. The prostitute is seeing this in the spiritual. And so she's pouring out her perfume. Her life's wages. Her provider was the perfume. It's what made her money. She pours all of it out and says, I have a new provider. That's why God says, don't bring me mud. Mud is not valuable. He says, bring me what's valuable. This is real worship. And so she pours it out. But Simon thinks the one gunshot wound isn't that big of a deal. A lot of you think like God saved you, but 
the gap was like this. <sighs> Thanks for building that little bridge for me to get across, God. Uh, that, was, that was a close one, you know. But the gap of sin for all of us is from here to infinity. And there's only one bridge that can go infinity, if you will. There's only one person that can get you from death to life. And some of you Pharisees, Spurgeon says this way, it is Christ, uh, not as Christ, sorry, it is Satan's masterpiece to make you think well of yourself. It is Satan's masterpiece for you to be impressed with yourself, to think that you're great and good and good enough. When you start to become good enough and great in your eyes, you are following in the footsteps of Lucifer. But when you follow the prostitute and you weep at the feet, you follow a sinner who has been saved. May you be a sinner who worships like they've been saved. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. He goes on and he finishes. He goes, that's right. Then he turned to the woman and said, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I, uh, I look at this part of it and you, you, you got to study a lot on this one. Cause you're like, why is Jesus saying these three things? Like, like, can you imagine having somebody come to your house? Like, Hey, uh, you didn't, um, touch my right shoulder and you didn't, uh, put some olive oil on my head. Like, like, what is he saying? It was customary to greet every person that was a peer with those things. But there was another way to greet somebody that if they were a rabbi, that would never be omitted. You would never not greet a rabbi. It would be the most ridiculous looking thing to have a rabbi walk in the room and be the host of the party and not greet him. It's never omitted. And Jesus is like, he doesn't even use the rabbi one. He goes, you didn't even treat me like a peer. You wouldn't even greet me like a peer, let alone a rabbi. A rabbi comes in, you put your hand on the shoulder saying, I welcome you in this place. You kiss them, you wash their feet, and then you put some fragrance on their feet, and you say to the rabbi, you are welcome in this place. And the essence of sin is this. You don't treat God like a peer. You act like you're in charge. You don't tell me what to do with my body, God. I tell you what I do with my body. You don't tell me what to do with my time, God. I tell you what I do with my time, God. No, you don't tell me what to do with my finances. I tell you what to do with my finances. With everything I have, I tell you. And what Simon did was say, I am authority and you're just in the room. And what happens in worship, when we don't worship in the way he says, we say, I know you said to raise hands. I know you said to be vulnerable. I know you said proskuneo, that I'm supposed to worship you like a dog. But I'm impressive in my own eyes. So I'm not going to raise my hands. I'm going to treat you like you're less. And I am actually authority. And I'm here to encourage you. Your life will be a train wreck if that's how you live for the rest of your days. But thank God for the gospel. That God says, if you will see me like a savior and you will see yourself as a sinner that needs a savior and you will come in and kiss my hand and worship at my feet, I will redeem everything you can't redeem and you will live a blessed life, an abundant life. Psalm uh, 84 is what I want to read you and we'll be all done. Psalm 84 is this text where the sons of Korah had a light bulb moment, if you will, as followers of Christ. Psalm 84 says this. 
How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. I mean, this is a believer that now knows it's all about the presence of God. Oh, how lo- I'm fascinated with the dwelling place. I've created a place in my house to dwell with you even. I've created time I schedule dwelling. I almost faint when I know I'm about to hang out with you. I almost get, I'm that excited to, to get in the presence of God, that he is, he is enamored, he is in love, he is placing ultimate value on the one who saves. This is, every, every believer, they, they get to this point eventually in their life. If you're not there yet, you're gonna get there. He goes on to say, my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself. He's saying, the sparrow knew where to go, now my soul knows where to go. My soul has found its nest, its, its safe place, if you will. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Autumn rains also cover with pools. They go from strength to strength till each person before God of Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. If you get this part of worship, night, night. This part, what the psalmist is showing us is God, you have no longer become useful to me, you have become beautiful to me. Now, better is one day in your courts. The best way I can share that is, Rachel and I are 29, just got married. I never traveled a lot, you know, didn't grow up with a lot of money, so never been to uh, Hawaii, so we go to Maui for our honeymoon. And I remember going to Maui for a honeymoon and saying, better is seven days in Maui than anywhere else in the world. To look at this beach, there's something about water, something about, about, about just looking at water that gives me, uh, that has me rest. I always tell me, like, oh, I, I, the other day we're just kind of tired, and kind of hard day. I was like, we need Maui, you know, and we need Jesus, but be bear with me, okay? Um, I want Jesus with Maui, okay? Come on now. Um, and we pay for beauty. We pay for it. I'll go book a trip, and as I remember after our first time, I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to get us back here as many times as possible. Credit card points, I'll buy less clothes, I'll, everything. I'll, 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 I will budget so we can come back, because better is seven days here than anywhere else. And now when I book it, I'm not going to book Garden View. I'm booking Ocean View. I'll pay an extra $700 for the whole week just so I can wake up and look at the beauty of the ocean. And what they're saying is I had a moment that I will do everything in my power, everything in my being, to make sure I can see your beauty every day, to make sure that I can get the, the guck of the world, the, the, the craziness of the world, the busyness of the world, my own shame, if I'm gonna move it out of the way so I can see your beauty. As a believer, some of us, you can tell God's uh, a business partner because most of your conversation is asking him for things, to do things, and it's just petition. It's ask, 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 ask. And so he's a business partner. But what, what happens when God becomes beautiful to you is think about what you do when you enjoy beautiful things. You find a beautiful friendship. You don't want anything from the friend. You just love being around them. There's beauty in the friendship. You find somebody you, that you want to marry or date, you want to be around, like, I don't know what it is, but I just love being around you. I find, I find my times with you beautiful. I just want to be around you. And I want to encourage you real quick. If you haven't seen that or tasted that, this is your season to pursue it and find it and to be just like the psalmist. Oh, there is nothing like your dwelling place. God, we give you all the glory. Would you bow your heads with me? 
God, we repent for seeing you as useful and not beautiful. God, would you open our eyes to your glory? God, I pray right now for the ones in the room that have never said yes to you, never said yes to a Savior. God, we thank you that you're the one that redeems all people. You can redeem the biggest sins and the smallest sins. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if you've never said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, you want to say yes to salvation. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three. Raise it up. You want to say yes to salvation. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Come on, hands all over. I see you, and I see you, and I see you. I see you in the back. Come on now, I see you. I see you right there. Just raise your hand on the left side. I see you. Come on, we can celebrate that. We can celebrate that. So Jesus, we simply say we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. As we wake up tomorrow morning, may we trust fall in the one that catches. May we make you our refuge. May we taste and see your goodness this week, not just today, but may we worship you every day. Oh God, we love you so much. We love you so much. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.